Good morning, beautiful people of Centers for Spiritual Living, and welcome to what month are we in? August. It's a new month and a, a new theme for the month, and you probably have already checked in your journal, that, and you, you know that the theme for this month is all about nature. It's also about calling our attention in as planetary citizens to take care of nature, to feel our connection to it, to respond to it, and to take our place in creation as stewards and not as consumers or users or dominators of nature and our planet. And so when I saw this topic, I thought, I have to, I must. I must talk about Native American wisdom traditions. I have to. And I'm a novice. I'm still learning about Native American wisdom traditions. And one of the most significant things that I think I've learned about Native American wisdom is that Native American wisdom isn't a thing that can be taken out and separated from life and studied on its own. It's all connected. And there are many hundreds of distinct native indigenous people, each with their own wisdom, their own ceremonies, their own sacred stories, their own origin stories, hundreds. They can't just be all lumped together as one thing. And what I'm noticing, however, is that there are some recurring themes among Native American people that relate to our topic today about nature and our place in this natural world. And I'm learning it from the contemporary Native American author and teacher Michael Garrett in his beautiful book. And some of the things I'm picking up from reading Michael Garrett are, first of all, that everything, according to Native American tradition, Everything is imbued with, saturated with, part of spirit. The second is that there is a constant conversation, a dialogue, a relationship taking place between all of the elements of creation all of the time. And the third is that humankind is part of that complex relationship, that web, if you like, not set aside from creation, not set above creation, but part of everything. Before the pandemic, I used to take groups of people to the island of Bali in Indonesia where I noticed a similar theme. In Bali, the ordinary and the sacred are the same thing, integrated or inseparable. And there is daily visible evidence in the culture of this integrated spiritual and ordinary life. It's kind of different here in the United States where religion... Or spirituality, um, well, it shows up more as a kind of optional add-on. Would you like some religion with that life? <laughs> you know, so we, we kind of, our approach, um, this is a gross generalization, but it's more like we'll do it when it's convenient. 
or when we are in trouble. Or when we need help. Or when we wish to control something. So here in the West, religion or spirituality is very intensely personal and private. And we make a big deal of separating it from the rest of culture. Keeping it apart. In fact, it's common to hear that we ought not to bring it up in polite conversation. That's the last thing you should do is talk about what you believe. You could offend somebody. And so, as a result, I'm guessing many of us struggle carving out time to do spirituality. Yesterday, I was in Chapala, Mexico, for the graduation of a new group of Spanish-speaking spiritual directors from the School of Spiritual Leadership. They don't use the term reverend in Mexico to keep a distinction between existing religious traditions. They call themselves spiritual directors. And their leader, Dr. Rebecca Pina, who has been here on this very stage visiting us, she um, began the graduation with such beautiful ceremony, with dignity and procession and music and prayer. And she explained to the students why it is important to do that. She said, you want to mark the important moments of your life with this mindfulness, this ceremony, because ceremony opens our hearts and connects us to what is going on in a way that words and thoughts can't do by themselves. She said to the students, you might not remember in a couple of years anything your teachers taught you. You might not remember your studies, but what you will remember is this feeling in the ceremony where your friends and your community are all part of witnessing as you take this step into your new identity. Oh, and it got me to remember how in the Balinese culture and in the Native American wisdom traditions, ceremony is woven into everything. Indeed, I'm learning in some Native American worldviews, it's inseparable. There's not ceremony and life. It is life. Health and wellness is tied up, connect part of being in step with the spirit of nature, I guess we can say. And in some Native American cultures, I learned that um, ceremony is barely recognized as being different from doing the things of your life. So there are ceremonies or rituals associated with, well, everything. Rites of passage, harvest, planting, childbirthing, passing on. They don't seem, as I learn about it, they don't seem to be like optional add-ons. It's more like it's part of life. It is the dialogue of life with itself. Now, I mentioned the contemporary Native American educator and author Michael Garrett. 
He is a traditional Eastern Cherokee, and he's a trained counselor. And he's, his work is wonderful because he creates a bridge um, between ancient wisdom and contemporary modern thinking. He's got a beautiful book, Walking on the Wind. And among other things, as I read it, I'm, I'm learning that, well, there's a sad part for us to embrace. Sadly, Native American culture has suffered immeasurable loss in the continuity of the tradition between the present and the pre-Columbian America. So much culture and so much wisdom suffered devastation caused by forced conversion to Christianity. And then disease. And then war. So it interrupted the traditional chain of continuity, handing down the wisdom from elders to people. So it suffered as a result. So today, sadly, some Native American cultures are facing the challenge of not having access to the rich heritage of their cultural history. And they are, through people like Michael, in the process of rebuilding, regrouping, reclaiming that. And I learned also that the immense diversity among the Native American people it makes it really impossible for those of us like me learning about it to simplify it. You know how we like to do in Western culture? Give me a quick summary. Give me a 30-second TikTok video. Give me a few bullet points so I can say I know something, so I can generalize about it. So I am aware in myself that to summarize Native American wisdom traditions is to fall short right in the beginning. There isn't one single source. There is no central founding figure, like in Buddhism or Christianity or Islam, to turn to. And when Europeans first arrived in this land, the diversity of the first people was even greater, even richer, over thousands possibly of distinct groups of people, each with their own rituals, each with their own stories, each with their own festivals and their beliefs and creation stories and codes of life, etc. So I stand here today feeling pretty humble, saying I notice general themes. I'm fully aware that my ignorance of the big picture may lead me to misunderstanding or missing a lot. And so I know that I've got to continue learning respectfully, with curiosity. And it's become aware to me, I've become aware that one of the first things I have to do is to acknowledge that the land we are on today is the land of the original people of the Pomo nations. And it is important to me now, and I hope you will take it up too, 
to learn about them and what happened to them in the process of colonization. The information is available. And out of respect, I have to learn about it. One of the most relevant general awarenesses that I have learned about uh, that it relates to our topic today is that in Native American wisdom, earth, nature, well, they are thought of as being our true home, a true spiritual dwelling place right here and right now. There seems to be a focus on maintaining a harmony with this home and not focusing on later, on death, on the world to come. And as I read more about Native American wisdom traditions, I'm sadly aware, especially since I was born and raised in South Africa where the same is true, uh, I'm aware of the vast damage done to indigenous people. Especially since UNESCO has established August 9th, coming up, as the International Day of World Indigenous People which comes, as one of my Canadian colleagues, Reverend Karen Wilson, pointed out to me, on the heels of Pope Francis's historic trip of penance to the Canadian cities of Iqaluit, Montreal, and Edmonton, following the discovery of more than 3,500 missing indigenous children in, an un, in unmarked graves on the grounds of former residential schools run by the Catholic Church. How can it happen? Well, I was taught in school that anything not Christian was to be considered invalid. Maybe cute, interesting, but certainly not to be taken seriously. I had to unlearn that kind of thinking. Native American culture has suffered a similar treatment that continues to today. It has been minimized by our culture, insensitively appropriated, oversimplified in movies, wrongly portrayed in movies, and exploited. There is encouraging news in that there seems to be an upsurgence of sincere interest to learn about American Native American indigenous first people culture and spirituality about its reverence for life. Not to mimic it, but to learn about it. And I think for me the most respectful way to learn about Native American wisdom traditions is to learn from Native Americans. 
which is why I mentioned Michael Garrett's book. He's a Native American, and he helps people like me, maybe like you, understand more about his culture's worldview, and in particular, how important it is to pay attention to this dialogue between all the things of nature, this conversation, this relationship of spirit. And he encourages us to do what we can to reawaken and to reinforce our connection to the complex web of life, not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all our relations within the web itself. He says in the book that modern dependency on technology may be responsible for why we depend less and less on inner technology. The technology that would allow us to access the conversation, the dialogue between the allness of creation, the real world wide web, if you will, where everything that we would ever need to live and grow and commune and relate and love is constantly being broadcast. Our faith tradition says there is one spirit common to all things and all people, persistently present and available. On page 29 of his book, he says, In our search for newer and better technology, it is possible that we have forgotten how to depend on our own internal technology that which provides us with everything we ever need to know in order to live and grow. Could it be that we have allowed our sacred stream of consciousness to become muddied with facts and figures and the need for life to be quick and easy? In creating technology to simplify our lives, might we have also further complicated them? In today's world of information and speed, it is important not to forget why we are here. Life has a way of reminding us when we listen. So it takes me at last to the topic for today. I knew I would get here. We are being called to show up and become aware of our connection to nature. We are being invited to pay attention to life and to consciously take our place in the community of all beings as stewards and not as overlords or consumers. Or owners. Michael has a beautiful suggestion. He, he suggests that a really good place for us to start is by taking two fingers and placing them on your own pulse. You can try that. 
and paying attention to your pulse, the way it feels, how it touches your fingertips, how fast it moves, how slow it moves, the strength of it. And he suggests that once you and I learn how to pay attention to our heart, literally, it then becomes much easier to pay attention to our heart figuratively. And he also talks about how our brain can get in the way of this connection. It's busy. I don't blame the brain because it's overstimulated. It's got to multitask to get by in this world. So he says it's important to seek out a pace and a surrounding that will allow each of us to enter into a state of calm watchfulness without distraction, without interference, for example, like in nature, but not only in nature, everywhere. The, another author, Sage Eileen Bennett, suggests that we can create that spaciousness through gardening, through touching the earth in your own backyards, even if you don't have a garden, by spending time, maybe in a friend's garden, Get your hands into the earth. Do some weeding or harvesting right now. Or collect leaves in the fall. Or plant in the spring. Or by just pausing wherever you are to feel, to relax, to listen. I mentioned I was in Mexico yesterday. One of the days while I was in Mexico, I was walking along the shore of Lake Chapala, the largest natural lake in Mexico. It was so beautiful. And there was this moment on the boardwalk where it was early enough that there was just stillness. And I was standing looking at the magnificence of the lake, and I thought of the question, like Michael suggests, what do you think nature is trying to say to you? And I was standing there, and then all of a sudden, a whole group of tourists arrived in a bus. And there was so much noise pollution. I mean, it was nice. It was joy, and there were children, and they wanted to um, get their picture at the famous Chapala sign. So there was literally a dry, drowning out of creation, and I thought to myself, no wonder I cannot hear the World Wide Web. <laughs> so I'm loving what I'm learning about Native American wisdom traditions, and it it's reminding me, even in the small amount I'm learning, it's reminding me of something I know. Stop rushing. Where are you going in such a hurry? What's so urgent?
What's more important than being here? And then by extension, why am I so busy jumping to conclusions when I haven't consulted the World Wide Web? Why am I in such a hurry to explain who did what and why and what their motives are when I haven't consulted the World Wide Web? And instead, to carve out time to be, and particularly in nature, but not just in nature, to be. In his book, I think he wrote this especially for me, even though he wrote this book <laughs> a decade ago. I think he was, I, I'm, I know the life is not all about me, but I think this is for me. Maybe it's for you. In the Cherokee way, when confronted with a difficult decision or a sense of uncertainty, it is important for the person to sit with it for at least four days before taking any action. I can feel the space in that. I think tuning in to the guide that is spirit does require spaciousness or at least patience or at least non-rushing. So I leave you with the invitation that I'm giving myself. Find a way to nature this week, to a garden maybe or to a park or to a potted plant in your living room. Or join Reverend Russ on his spirit walk this coming Saturday along Santa Rosa Creek. He'll tell you about it in a moment. And spend some moments asking yourself that question. What is nature trying to tell me? In our journal, there is a prayer for August. And I share it with you as a way of bringing our time to a close. I invite you to breathe in and to exhale, letting your eyes closed. Spirit gloriously expresses itself as the heavens, the planets, the oceans, and all life. As life, it is teeming, swirling, rising, falling. As life, it is visible and magnificent, as well as mysterious and intimate. My life is that same life, the same glorious expression. And I open my heart today and I open my mind today to embrace the sacredness of my relations of plants, of animals, of insects, of rocks, of waters, of heavens, of seas, all the sources, magnificent inventions and designs and expressions.
I realize through this prayer that stewardship is mine to embrace. And so I embrace stewardship with reverence for the amazing expression of life all around me. I humbly and joyfully align my thoughts and words and actions to harmonize with the expression of divine bounty. And with a thankful heart, I release this, my prayer, into that aspect of the divine we understand as the law, confident that it is responding to me even now. And so it is. <laughs>